I'm Carrie. And I'm Amy, and you are listening to The Perks of Being a Book Lover. This is a show where two different friends, Amy is like a golden retriever and I'm like a grumpy cat, talk about all the amazing advantages that come from living a bookish life. Each week we do a deep dive Q&A with a book lover, an author, awesome, a bookseller, bingo, a member of a book club, marvelous. We chat with bibliophiles from all over about why stories are integral to who they are. For me, some of the most satisfying episodes we do are when we talk to book lovers from other countries. What's it like to be a book lover from far-reaching places around the world? In the past, we've talked to readers and writers from Ireland, Somalia, Germany, and Saudi Arabia. This week, we're headed to Croatia to speak with Ivana Merck, who gives us a window into her life as a child growing up, learning to read both the Cyrillic alphabet, which Slavic languages are based on, and the Latin alphabet. She learned English in school starting in third grade, and she now reads books in both Croatian and English. We talk with her about Croatian authors who you might want to find translations for, if possible, why the skill of a book translator is so important, and what authors you've probably heard of who are particularly popular in her country. We feel it would be helpful to give you just a brief little summary of Croatian modern history in the last 50 years that is most relevant to this episode. Croatia was part of the former Yugoslavia, which also included Serbia, Bosnia, Herzegovina, Slovenia, Macedonia, and Montenegro. In 1991, Croatia declared independence from Yugoslavia. This did not happen peacefully. This was followed by the Bosnian War from 1992 to 1995, which pitted Croatians, Bosnians, and Serbians against each other and has been called the bloodiest event in Europe since World War II. Geographically, Croatia is very close to Italy to the west by way of the Adriatic Sea, Austria and Hungary to the north, and Bosnia to the west. But first... How are you, Carrie? I'm good. Uh, My daughter turned 18 this weekend, so and she didn't get to have a a sweet 16 birthday because of COVID, and she didn't have a 17th birthday because of COVID, so she made up for it this weekend. So we've been doing birthday stuff. Yes, and I stalked her a little bit. I stalked her Goodreads account because we do follow each other on Goodreads, and I don't make it a practice normally to get my friend's children birthday gifts, but I figured, you know, 18, it's a big birthday and she likes to read. If she didn't like to read, I wouldn't have gotten her anything probably, but because (laughs) she likes books like her mama, I decided I was going to stalk her Goodreads account and see what was on her to read list. I was volunteering at the Rosewater Bookstore, which is a nonprofit bookstore here in Louisville, and decided, well, I'm going to see what I can find that's on her to read list that's also in the store. And I ended up getting her one book from her list and one book that I just thought she would like based on her interests. So hopefully she will uh, like those, but then she may unfriend me from her grid read. So I'm not stalking her anymore. (laughs) Well, I think she was pleasantly surprised. She saw it and she's like, is this from you? I'm like, no, that's from Amy. And she's like, oh, so she thought it was very sweet. Well, that's good. At least she didn't think it was too creepy. (laughs) Yeah, no, no. That's right. Well, I'm glad she had... A good birthday. She did. She did. So, and you spent your weekend, you were not doing the reading that you were supposed to do. You went down a rabbit hole of other reading. Yes. Yes. So this whole episode, as I've been editing it, the one that you're going to hear today with Ivana, I just found it fascinating because it is a part of the world that I do not know much about. So before we interviewed her, I thought that I had done enough research on Croatia to be able to do a, you know a thorough interview with her. And I think I probably had, but what I realized was that my whole perception of where the Balkan wars were was a little bit not right. (laughs) Was a a little bit incorrect. Like I do remember that whole period of time between 91 and 95. But, you know, I was in my early 20s. I was in college. I just wasn't paying super close attention. I knew it was going on, but like I said, I just wasn't paying that close of attention. And when when all those former communist countries in Eastern Europe kind of fell apart and they all separated into their separate states, I just don't think I knew which ones belonged to which former country. Does that make sense? That does make sense. The thing is, I don't think you're alone. I think that this is a lot of Americans. I mean, honestly, a lot of Americans right now are figuring out where Ukraine is. So it's sort of like, you know, you you hear about things and if you're of a certain age, you pay attention. And if you're 
under a certain age, you're just living your life and you're not paying attention. So what happened was, as I was listening to the episode again, as I was editing it, I was finding it fascinating. And I thought, I really want to read a book that's set in Croatia. And I wanted to know if there were some that might be easier for me to find at my library. I ended up finding a couple And one of them in particular I got from the library, and it has sucked me in. There's several other books that I should be reading right now, and this book completely sucked me in. It's called Girl at War by Sarah Novich, and her family is from Croatia. Uh, She did not grow up there. Uh, She's like first-generation American, but she went back uh, and did a lot of research, interviewed a lot of people, and wrote this fictional account of a young girl growing up in the capital of Croatia when the war starts and kind of what that was like. And then eventually she comes to the United States. Uh, But it is a really good book. But there's another one that I've also downloaded. And I asked Ivana about this one and she had heard of it because apparently it is pretty popular in Croatia, actually. And it's called Chasing a Croatian Girl. And it is a man who met a Croatian woman at university in Oklahoma, and they end up getting married and they move back to her home country of Croatia. And so it's supposed to be sort of a funny account of what it's like to experience a totally new culture. Some of the the funny little quirks of being a Croatian. So I have that one waiting for me. So yeah, she said she had heard of that and it's supposed to be funny. So I'm looking forward to reading that as well. But I might have to wait on that one because I have other things I need to to read. But this has sent me down a huge rabbit hole. Yes. Yeah. Well, and I, I did a little bit because I was trying to look for Croatian writers who wrote about the Croatian war and their books had been translated into English. And that list is, I don't even know if it exists. I mean, it's very, very, very small. I, I found an author and they said his book it's considered like the greatest book about the Croatian war, but it's not in English. <laughs> so, you know, unfortunately that happens too. You find a book and you can't find a translation. Not, yeah. Some of the people that we've interviewed in the past for our global book lover segment are people who have moved from their native country to the United States or Canada. I think this is our first one where we're interviewing a person who is still living in the country that they grew up in. Mm -hmm. And I feel like I've made like an international connection. Do you know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Like it it makes me feel like a much more educated global person now. (laughs) That's a lot to put on poor Ivana, but But I definitely want to do more of, I want to do more of these. I think it's important for us to do these kinds of episodes and maybe other book podcasts do them. I don't know, but I'm glad that we do them. Yeah. Well, I think the thing is we, uh, we have more in common with each other than differences from each other. I think that in most cases with most people in the world. And so I think it's nice to be reminded of that. What we share is that we're book lovers, you know, so that's our first point of intersection. Right. So let's talk to Ivana. Ivana, thank you so much for joining us. We're excited to have you on the show. Yay, thank you for calling me. Ivana, we follow each other on Instagram, particularly Bookstagram, and we want to find out just a little bit about you. You live in Croatia. Tell us what you do professionally and how you started on Instagram. Professionally, I work as a ballet teacher, (laughs) so that's my full-time job. And how did I start? Oh, well... I used to blog a lot when my kids were little and somehow I decided in that period that I wanted to uh, restart my readings because, you know, when I was pregnant and the kids were little, you didn't have time to read. So at one point I was like, you know, reading was my passion before kids and now they're finally big enough that I can start reading again so I went to the bookstore and I was like shocked because like I didn't know any of the titles you know I was just like okay I want to buy a book but I don't know what to buy like there's too many of them I don't know what you know what's new what's old what's good so I was like totally out of it and then I asked people on my uh, Facebook page can you please recommend me like I don't know one book that you think I should read and a lot of people commented I went through those books went to my library and started writing about books in Croatian. And after a while, I joined Instagram, and I decided that since I was reading half in Croatian, half in English, 
that I want to talk to more people about, you know, because in Croatia, you usually wait. Rarely it happens that uh, books are out the same day. So we usually wait for translations and, you know, sometimes it's about a year. So we read it, actually read old books. So by the time the book comes out in Croatia, it's already a year old in the rest mm. of the world. And I hated that, you know, because I always had to talk about old books. <laughs> and and I was reading the new ones and nobody here was reading new books. So that's why I decided to start uh, an account in English and see what can I do there. And here I am. <laughs> two years later still here so you live in croatia did you grow up there yes okay yes born and, so and what, raised so what type of books did you read when you were a, a child i know like in the united states so amy and i are close to the same age and so we read similar books you know when we were growing up and so you could you can sort of know in every generation like what kids around that age were reading so what type of books were you reading when you were a kid i remember there were a lot of Croatian or Yugoslavian authors back then. We used to have a little antique bookshop uh, near my apartment. So I often went there and, you know, my parents bought me books. So there were a lot of those authors, you know, kids, Croatian authors. But from the foreign ones, the famous five, I don't know if you know these. Uh, and it, Is that and it, Enid Blyton? Yeah, I actually bought the collection for my kids as well. So, you know, these and uh, Chronicles of Narnia. You were not our first guest to mention Enid Blyton books. We also had a guest from Ireland. Uh, and yeah, she they were about very popular well. in Europe. Yeah, I'm not sure for the States, but here uh, they were quite big. There was a TV show also. So I remember watching it as well. At what age did you start learning English? I don't know, eight. Now kids start learning uh, from the first grade. I think I started in the third. Are there popular fairy tales or folklore that kids in Croatia sort of grow up knowing about? I mean, in the United States, there's obviously, you know, the fairy tales, the Grimm's fairy tales, like Cinderella and Snow White and things like that. But there are also some that are specific to the United States, like uh, Johnny Appleseed or Paul Bunyan. I don't know if you've ever heard of those, but mm. are, is there something like that in Croatia? Yeah, I mean, you know, we all have the Grimm stories and we all know these. So, you know, and the um, Disney cartoons. So the kids watch it today. I mean, there are some famous ones. I remember that we read it in school. There is an English translation of that book. It's Croatian Tales of Long Ago. It's the English title. It's, it dates from 1920s. You know, it's really oh. old. She, a Croatian author, she's called Ivana Berlic Majuranic. She's very famous. She actually was nominated, I don't know, six times for Nobel Prize oh, for wow. Literature. So she made those stories. I remember the book I had when I was a little, and it was very, you know, fairy-like. And, you know, all these creatures, she blended somehow Slavic mythology into mm. these stories. So that's the only thing like that pops out. That's a little bit different than, you know, kids from the rest of the world. Right. Mm. So what was school and learning to read like when you were a child? You mentioned that you primarily learned like those fairy tales. You had a, a book at school. Kids from the first grade, they get a, an assignment book to read every month. So it's like you have to read like 12 books per year mm. in, each, in, in each grade. So it's, you know, based on age of students. So momentarily, my kid reads a creation author. So... There's like kids' stories, you know, but short ones because they just learned to read, so they learn slowly. Is it different from when you were learning as to what your kids are learning? No. Some of the books are different, you know. They modernized with age because, you know, the books I read was 25 years ago <laughs> <laughs> since I lived while Yugoslavia was still alive. Yeah. Uh, we've read a lot of, you know, Bosnian and Serbian authors uh, in our Croatian classes lit and uh, now they they don't read all of those so they read only Croatian authors I think hmm. or you know foreign ones so we can talk about that a little bit because I had to do a little crash course <laughs> to remind myself about Croatia and what it used to be a part of and 
when it became its, you know, its own country. And so doing that research, Croatia separated from Yugoslavia in 1991. So obviously when you were growing up, you were still part of Yugoslavia and now you're your own country. So talk to us a little bit what it was like for you personally to grow up in a dictatorship and then to transition to a parliamentary type of government. Well, yeah, I, I, I was little. I don't remember that much because that was at the age when I just started school, I think. And for the first two or three grades, uh, we used to learn two letters. Uh, we used to learn, you know, the alphabet letters and we used to learn Cyrillic letters. So I remember our books having two sides, you know, on one side you were reading like normally and if you flipped the book from the other to the other side and there was all the same text but in the Cyrillic letters so the it was the whole other alphabet and, and the signs and I, I think I was the last group of students that uh, was learning those letters because later mm-hmm. you know we didn't do that anymore because you know it, the, the war came and everything so it was tough but I still recognize some of the letters. I still can, you know, write my name. (laughs) So that's kind of cool. You know, as you got older and you had said a few minutes ago that, you know, the books, uh, you would have to read Serbian and you mentioned another country, writers from those countries. Bosnia, yes. And you would read from those. So as you got older, it changed then and you would just stick with more Croatian writers? Yeah. Since the war started, we had a war from 1991 till 1994. So uh, at that time and uh, quite a years after, Serbian authors weren't really welcomed <laughs> in mm. our schools and anything. So it all went basically to Croatian and Bosnian. But honestly, I don't read much of these anymore. So mm. it was all what was for school, you know, what was the classics. We, we were reading that because we had to, mm-hmm. but it's all very, very hard literature. You were mentioning the author who had written the Croatian book of fables, but you said that she had been nominated for the Nobel Prize several yeah. times. So yeah. would she be one of the authors that you would say would be like one of your country's classic writers? Yeah, Everybody yeah. would know. Yeah, definitely. You know, there are not many authors, but most of those that we learn in school, everybody knows them. Who were some of the other authors besides the one you mentioned? We had some uh, famous poets, and everybody knows about them. It's called Dobrisha Cesaric, Dinujevic, a woman called Vesna Parun. She's really famous. But, uh, you know, there's also one uh, specific author. She, she's never been translated, which is, you know, I think unfortunate because she has really specific way of writing and she's really, really famous here. I mean, she's not alive anymore. She was living in the first half of 19th century. But for that period of time, a female writer to write so much and to write such stories uh, was really, you know, something. She's called uh, Maria Juric Zagorka, and everybody loves her books. Like, you know, everybody has at least one of her books at home, especially women. She has a couple of series, you know, I think one, nine books, and Gordana has 12. Hmm. So she has a couple of these series, but what's, what is fascinating is in her stories, you know, she, it's all uh, situated back in, I don't know, 18th century. But uh, stories from history, you know, uh, cities from history and tales of witches and witch hunts and, you know, all the legends of the city, they're all incorporated with their love stories. Hmm. Basically, their love stories, but with all of that and always the female character is fighting, you know, she's really feminist. So, you know, when you put it all together, it's an amazing story and when you think about the time that you wrote it, it's like, you know, it's really something. For her stories, I'm actually looking because I don't know which, which books are translated or which authors are. So I was looking at it and I really saw that she isn't translated. And I was like, but why? You know, when you were talking about it, I, I just think, you know, when you think about the stories, the legends or fairy tales or mythology or whatever you want to call it of different places, you know, if you're not from that place, it probably seems kind of magical. Like to me, I would think of it sort of like a fantasy. And so yeah. 
I'm listening to you talk about it. And I'm like, oh, that sounds like <laughs> you could just learn so much about other places if that was available to, yeah, to more people. Yeah, because you know, here, here, if we, if you look at Croatia, she, it's a really, very old country. You know, I mean, mm. the whole Europe is very old. Croatia is very right. old. So we have a ton of history. So, you know, my city where I was born, I was born in the capital, Zagreb. I don't live there now, but that's the place where I was born and lived till my 25th year. So if you look at it, so it's a very old city. And growing up there, living in the city center and knowing about the city's history and reading these books, it's like really a magical experience because, you know, you walk these streets. It's called the Upper, upper Town. It's on mm-hmm. the little hill. It was basically where, you know, the city was starting to, to grow. You've had two little hills, actually, and they were separated with a bridge and the river. And one part was working people and the other one was like aristocracy. So these stories of that author were, were situated in that time period. And, you know, where people were fighting one part of the city with another part of the city. And there were actually witch hunts there they were burning women for being witches and it's really a part of the history so it's kind of a half legend because you have you, you can go there are tours today and they they call it you know hunting the witches and you go through some of the parts mentioned in the books so it's all you know it's really based on the city's history so knowing that and knowing all these places and reading these books actually you know it gives you a true experience of Mm-hmm. that part of the country. So I found it you know, fascinating. After you talking about the war and then Croatia becoming its own independent country, are there any, because I've thought about this before, lots of books are written about World War II and, and lots of people read books about World War II. But there are certain wars that, at least for people in the United States, there's not a whole lot that we know that's been written about. So are there books that have been read widely in Croatia about the war b- b- like that you mentioned? All of them. <laughs> 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 that is honestly, that is one of the reasons that I don't read Croatian literature because uh, Croatian in Bosnia, it has a, it had a big effect. You know, you cannot deny that what happened here in this, in this particular time, it, it really, you know, uh, influenced the, the people. Mm-hmm. Uh, they went through a lot of losses, a lot of suffering. It has been a really hard time. A lot of people lost their belongings, their homes, their uh, families, their spouses, their kids. So, you know, it took a while. You know, Croatia was depends on the parts of the country. Some parts were good, uh, not affected by it that much. Some parts were really bad. And if you look at Bosnia, it, it, that country was completely destroyed. So authors from there, you know, they still write about it. And I was like, you know, okay, I, I understand it, but you know, it's been 30 years. So, you know, I don't want to read about it anymore. I want to read mm-hmm. about, you know, cheerful things. So unfortunately, you know, that is still a big part of countries, movies, uh, of countries, uh, books. It has influenced it uh, really a lot. So mm-hmm. they have just, I can say maybe in the last 10 years, they have started to realize that, you know, people want to read uh, lighter topics and Mm. you can find, you know, there's some romances, you know, and some fantasy authors, you know, that started to rise. So we'll see where that goes. Mm. When I was learning more about Croatia for this interview, I don't think I realized how close Croatia is to Italy. And so Croatia is sort of like at this crossroads geographically between Eastern Europe and Western Europe. And so I'm wondering, living in Croatia, do you see a lot of the influences from Germany yeah, I mean, and it, Italy as yeah. well as from Eastern yeah. Europe still? Yeah, but we we have been connected through the history, you know. So we've had like Hungarian and Austrian SARS running the country. We've had Italy also for a while. Uh, running the country we've had you know turkish invasions back in the days so we have you know a mix of everything if you go to the coastal part of istria that is closest to the italy you know half of the people speaks italian just like croatian here where i live we're more close to the hungarian and austrian border a lot of the words are you know from that places if you look the the architecture the the way the buildings are you can see a lot of Austrian influences. 
So if you go to Vienna, you'll see the same type of buildings. So, you know, it's all mixed. And you have, you know, we drink coffee and we have like some of the desserts also and some food also the same or similar. You can see the influences also. Hmm. So we're like a mix. (laughs) Well, and I'm wondering, you were saying that if you wait for something to come out in Croatian, it'll be at least a year. Like if it's coming from books that are being published in the United States or Britain, let's let's say. So when you go to get a book, do you look first to see if it's in Croatian or do you go straight to the English translation? Well, since I'm now watching everything, so I basically know what's going to come out in Croatia and in America and England, then I know what I want. So the last Shefak book, she was published the same day in English and in Croatian. Mm. Or the last Lucinda Riley book also, it happened the same day. So sometimes the publisher knows if some books are in demand and they hurry to get it done by the certain date. But for the others, you know, it's not relevant for them. So when they, you know, manage to I don't know, buy the book, trans- get it translated and you make the cover and everything printed out, sometimes it takes, you know, six months to a year. So... Do you prefer to read books in Croatian over English? Is that your preference? No, I don't know. Um, Sometimes the translations are not really, you know, good. (laughs) You know, the translating is a a tough task. I don't know if any of you has read Zephon. He's a Spanish author. He's very famous. Oh, I know who you're talking about. Yes, about a long time ago. Um, Shadow of the Wind. Shadow of the Wind. I did read that years and years and years ago. So, so he writes in Spanish. You know, the original is in Spanish. And I have read the Croatian once. And I have skimmed through an English translation. These are not the same books. <laughs> really? These are not the same books. You know, because Croatian has, you know, that fluency. And it's, it's not a similar language to the Spanish, but has the, the sound of it. So if you read it in Spanish or if you read it in Croatian, you know, the atmosphere and the sound uh, of the words, it, it like flashes you back into that time of where it takes place. And if you read it in English, it just, I don't know, it doesn't have any magic. It doesn't have any mystery mm. in it. It's so like, I don't know how to explain it. Uh, it's so simple. It's too simple. Mm. So That's- it sometimes happens, you know, when depends on the language of translation but sometimes you know the Croatian translation of English books is okay sometimes it's you know tacky a little bit so it depends about what types of books do you read what language they're originally written in it really has uh, a lot of to do with it but I read faster in Croatian of course and it's easier for me if I'm tired if, if the book is maybe more heavier then I will if I have the option of picking out either Croatian or English, I will pick out the Croatian one. But uh, if new releases are in English, of course, I will, you know, read it in English. So I don't know, you know, if you like audiobooks, but are you able to get audiobooks in translation and read in whatever language? No, no, no. I I listen to them in English. I'm not sure if they exist actually in Croatian. Okay. Not as my knowledge, so... So I don't think I realized until we started doing this show and I talked to more and more readers, I don't think I realized what an art form translation is. Yeah. I just hadn't thought about it very deeply, I guess, but it really is because you can translate something word for word, but that doesn't necessarily capture the emotion of something or the, the feeling behind it. And so it's interesting to hear you talk about how the Croatian translation of a Spanish novel is a totally different book than the English. That that really yeah. struck me. That's yeah, great. yeah, it's true. And I've been talking to a lot of my friends uh, from Croatia about that. So I'm not the only one, you know, noticing it. It, mm-hmm. it, it really depends on the language. Are there writers that are popular in Croatia among you and your, your I mean, reading friends? Well, there are a lot of, you know, there are a lot of them. If I look at my library about like what people are borrowing from there. Elif Shafeik, she's really famous. She is sought for. Mm-hmm. People love reading her. She's a Turkish author. She lives in England now and writes in English actually, but uh, 
she's very red here. <laughs> is, is that okay to say? Very, very red. Yeah, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, and but a lot of people I know like Frederick Beckman. Yeah. Oh yeah. Uh -huh. Yeah. So uh, I was amazed because you know his books are Swedish, so Swedish gets translated to Croatian, and Swedish gets translated to English. So we basically have them out at the same time. Even actually, we have it uh, sooner than you do. Something that oh, really. Wow. <laughs> hmm. Yeah. Well, he is quite so, popular in yeah, the United but, States as but well. But I was. Yeah. Yeah. But since I really. I love him. I love every book he wrote. I love the way he writes. So I was, you know, paying attention about it. And when I started my Bookstagram account, nobody knew of him. Hmm. And it was one of the first books I posted about. Bear Town was, was the first I've read of him and was the first that I, you know, talked about. And nobody knew about him. Up until the anxious people, because it was book of the month and it got like spread widely and by my opinion, is the I cannot say it's bad. It's 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 good, but from all of his books, I put that one on, on the last place. But it was interesting because it got like all the attention, probably mm -hmm. because it was you know book of the month, and after that, people started reading him. You know, going mm -hmm. through his backlist and discovering him as an author, which was like two years after we've had all of his books here. <laughs> so I was like, wow. Well, finally. <laughs> <laughs> We got with it, you know? <laughs> well, finally, you know what a good author is, you know? <laughs> so that was funny. But, uh, you know, we love him. And Colleen Hoover, of course, you know, all the romance novelists. I don't know, Scandi authors. We mm, love, mm -hmm. uh, you know, Scandi Noir. We love them. Yes. But, you know, we, we do a lot of American and English authors. So, And we have, like, a couple of Croatian newer ones that are really getting the attention that they, that they should. There's one Croatian author that I really love and he has his book finally translated. I think it was a year ago or two years ago that he got translated into English. I haven't read that book. I have read second of his and it's so good. I just keep waiting that that one, you know, gets translated because then it's going to be all over. I'm going to like be the biggest selling <laughs> <Will> person. You... <laughs> You can't leave us hanging. You have to tell no. us who it is. So here's uh, Christian Novak, uh, and his his book is called Dark Mother Earth. So well, we know, will definitely. It's, it's, put it's that a, a beautiful cover. It's really dark. My mom uh, read it, and my friends read it. I've read the second of his books. That one's called, uh, if I translated them, the most beautiful gypsy. Hmm. Is it a series, like a mystery no, series? No, 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 no. It's oh. it, it's kind of mystery and drama. But he grew up in this part where I live at the, at the moment, and we have a lot of gypsies here. I don't know if that's a correct word to call them, but I don't know the other language word. <laughs> Romani. Yeah, Romani. What... Yeah, it is similar here, but uh, I didn't know the English. So uh, there are a lot of them here, and he incorporated a story about them and their mentality and a guy from one of those it's not a village it's like a habitat uh, where they live and you get to learn a lot of their way of life and hmm. their way of you know integrating in this culture so it's it's sad it's devastating it's you know why eye-opening it's great in language so i hope it will get trans translated as well but uh, as i read it and we have a, actually a theater play based on it also. So I think that the first one is also really good. Well, I'm putting it on my list right now <laughs> because it sounds awesome. You sold me. <laughs> well, I, I'm good in selling books. <laughs> <laughs> when you are reading for fun, what kind of genres do you like to read? I, I read like a, a big variety. The books that are really, really love, like love. They're the, the, the roughest one they are, probably, you know. They will tear you apart. They will make you cry a thousand times. You'll throw a book and you will, like, swear on it. But, um, <laughs> but you know, you will still, you know, take it back and, you know, you're good. <laughs> so I'd say literary fiction, probably. But uh, I, I love romances also. I love, you know, uh, rom-coms occasionally. A good thriller is also fine by me. So, you know, I switch them a lot of bit because if I read one, will tear me apart, then... I need a couple of lighter ones. Get over it. <laughs> I'm with you on that. So is there a book or two that are like forever favorite books of yours? 
that if somebody said, what's one of your favorite books, what would you say? Can I like, let's say five at least? (laughs) Sure. (laughs) You have Beartown. And I know, Mm -hmm. I don't know if you've read Valentine. I have not, but one of our other guests recommended it at one point, but I have not read that. It's like a a similar topic to Beartown, but situated on the, you know, American South. A bit of a different mentality maybe, but um, it's really, you know, devastating book, but also eye-opening, you know, makes you think. And, you know, I usually love the books that make you rethink your actions or your behavior in some some situations, maybe. So that's why I love This Is How It Always Is by Laurie Frankel, because that, mm-hmm. that book is like, wow, you just have to read it because it changes your perspective a lot. Absolutely. Yeah. We've read that one. Yeah. Yeah. So th- because it's, it's not a famous book, you know, and I, I'm surprised because why it's not it's a wonderful story and it's, it should be read in schools and should, parents should read it. Reading those kind of books will help change our society. But I don't know. I like The Book Thief. I like A Boy's Life. I don't know if you've read it. Uh, the Boy's Life. Who is that by? Uh, Robert McCammon, American author. He's actually okay. a horror writer. But uh, okay. this book, it's not a horror at all. It's like really a life story. So uh, it's amazing. The writing is amazing. It's kind of like a magical realism. Mm-hmm. but uh, where the author reminisces of his childhood and talks about the childhood in, I don't know, 80s or 70s, the way that he saw it as a kid, you know, so it's full of flying bicycles, you know, because he felt like he was flying when he was a kid. But the writing, you know, he gets you in the first two, two pages, you know, I was like melting, <laughs> like mm-hmm. so emotional, but really emotional about growing up in the history and older person in his 40s with his own kids reminiscing of his childhood so it's amazing and one more is Shantaram Gregory David Roberts it's a like 900 pages book so I have (laughs) but it's half memoir because that's his life he was talking about and it's fascinating because he's an Australian and he got into drug smuggling business and I don't know what he was in prison in Australia and he ran away from prison and ran away Hmm. to India and there he started a new life and he talks about a lot of you know the people in india the people he met the people that accepted him in his world that helped him he has amazing characters and he shows a great respect to indian people it's funny it's sad it it has a lot of adventures because he's he works like like as a doctor in a slam there living in Mm -hmm. a slam and then he starts smuggling passports and he you know, ends up in jail in India also a couple of times and he gets pulled out of jail by his mafia friends. But that's the life he really lived. I, I read in his, if it was the author's note or it was uh, on the back of the book. I've written this book like 10 times. I've written like 200 pages in prison and then they took the papers from me and I had to start it again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's really good book. If you have the time and, you know, the patience to go through 900 pages, <laughs> it's my recommendation, you know, the honest one. And well, this has been so fascinating talking with you. I am very excited to check out Christian Novak, the one you mentioned, uh, Dark Mother Earth. I've already yeah. got it on my list. We <laughs> are going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're all going to talk about what we're reading. We are back with Ivana and Carrie. Carrie, what's going on over there? What have you been reading? Well, I feel like I picked the perfect book. I finished it a while ago, but I'm so glad I'm talking about this because it is a book in translation. So it was written by Siri Peterson. She is Norwegian. I read Odin's Child and it is a fantasy. It's the first in a series. And when we talked with Heather Lennon from Arctis Books, she told us about this book series. So Odin's Child tells the story of Herka. And I'm sure I'm not pronouncing that in any way near what Norwegian pronunciation would be. But she is a girl who was found by a man who became her adoptive father. She was found as an infant. Now, the unusual thing about her is that she doesn't have a tail. And everybody in this world or this society that she's in has a tail and 
And I mean, like a long tail that touches the ground almost. And so because she didn't have a tail when she was an infant, her father cut on her a scar and he told her and everyone that her tail had come off when she was attacked by wolves so that was the story that she had grown up hearing about herself and she believes that story and everybody who's ever known her believes that story but then when she's 15 she finds out the truth her father tells her that she was found and she never had a tail and soon after that he dies and that is the perfect plot point that allows her to have adventures on her own and try to discover who she is and whether she is from that world so one of the ideas of this world is that people like Herka, who are tailless can spread what's called the rot and that is more or less a sexually transmitted disease that literally makes you rot from the inside out. Ooh. This idea of the rot and the fact that she now realizes that she is one of Odin's children, then, then that's what they call them if you're tailless. This complicates her longstanding friendship with Rhyme, who's a young man who is also on a bit of a journey to discover whether he believes in the government that his grandmother has been a part of his entire life. So this story covers a lot of ground. It's about identity. It's about politics, leadership, friendship, and what characters will do to keep secrets in the name of stability and order. Plus, uh, towards the end of the book, we're introduced to some really freaky otherworldly monsters called the blind. Like when I was reading it, I was picturing something on the order of orcs. Oh. That's kind of what I was picturing in my head. So I really like this book. And I generally don't like to start books that are in a series because then I'm like committed <laughs> to read the other books. But this one was worth it. And so the next book is called The Rot. And I'm so curious. I, I need to know more about this disease. And so we'll see. It was this good, though. This is, I think, was pretty popular internationally. And I think the third one is coming out well i mean it's been out in norway but i think that it's been translated into english it's coming out soon the third in the series it's a good one i recommend it if you like fantasy so well ivana what have you been reading i've just finished the love stories from trent dalton he's an australian author i haven't read any of his previous books he has two books before this one this one is actually nonfiction. And I bought it because uh, I've read the synopsis and I was like, yeah, I want to read this because it's so positive. And uh, it's actually funny because the author, he came up with the idea that since the COVID hit and, you know, the pandemic and everything, people went anxious and depressed and, you know, everything bad comes out in these situations. He wanted to write about something beautiful about something uplifting he wanted to remind people about what do they have in life and he mm -hmm. sat on the street with an old typewriter that he got from his old teacher and he put a sign like tell me your love stories so people on the street came to him and talk about his, their love stories so it's either spouses or family or kids but it's a beautiful, you know, it's a billion love stories from different people. And he always shares the background of the people. Where did he meet them? How did they approach him? Uh, what did they, you know, talk about? How were they interacting if it, if it was a couple or if it was an older lady that wanted to talk about her best friend or an older couple that wanted to talk about uh, their 50-year-old relationship. So it's really, you know, touching and it's really beautiful. It's an amazing book. You know, if you read nonfiction. And before that, I read The Gunkle. So that was that was fun. I saw your post about love stories on Instagram the other day, and I thought it sounded really interesting. And I added it to my Goodreads TBR. And I have not read The Gunkle, but that one sounds really cute. And I've been wanting to read it. It's fun. You know, it's it has like, you know, a, a serious note. Uh, you know, it's struggling with grief with children and, you know, family. But I, I giggled so much, you know, uh, <laughs> because he has like the, the adult way of talking with kids. And, you know, you know, the kids, they take everything by the word and he talks, <laughs> you know, in a sarcastic voice and he uses a lot of metaphors. 
so kids are really you know asking him always the questions and then when he answers them they just look at him blindly and look like what <laughs> yeah it's it's a good relaxing read i would say you know just a little bit of fun that sounds good well amy what have you had going on over there so i was able to get an advanced reader copy of a book by a former guest author ashley blooms it'll be out by the time that this this episode airs, but I had been looking forward to it so much because I loved her first book. We interviewed her several seasons ago when her debut novel, Every Bone of Prayer, came out. And uh, she has a new one coming out and it's called Where I Can't Follow. Ashley writes, she describes it as speculative fiction. I think other people might also describe it as magical realism. And in her book, it's everyday people with everyday lives about the part of the country that she grew up in, which was in Appalachia. And Ashley Blooms grew up and writes about this part of the country. But she adds fantastical elements to her books in a way that, in my opinion, helps to make the serious issues that she's dealing with or talking about both more palatable as well as more poignant. So in her first book, it was about child abuse, more specifically sexual abuse. And her main character was a girl named Misty, who can literally leave her skin, which she does when all the senses around her just become too much to bear. And so Ashley was able to convey the way abuse must feel to the victim. And she used these magical elements so deftly to show how victims feel like a stranger in their own skin. So in her newest one, Where I Can't Follow, Ashley Blooms again uses fantasy. And in this case, she uses portal fantasy to make readers ponder how drug use, poverty, and desperation in a small Kentucky town leads its citizens to look for a way out of a future that only seems bleak. And so what if we all had a little door that we could walk through to take us someplace else? What would be on the other side of that door? And would it be better than the place that we are, our current reality. So in this story, our main character is Marin, and Marin is in her in her early to mid-20s, and she lives with her grandmother because her mother took a little door when Marin was little and she never came back. And so then one day, as an adult, Marin sees a little door in her vision. And she has an internal struggles with herself about whether she should take the little door or stay here and try to figure out how to pay for health care for her grandmother who has dementia. And one of the ways that Marin is trying to get money to take care of her grandmother is by selling her granny's pain pills, which puts her on a dangerous path with the police. So each day, Marin's little door gets bigger and bigger, almost like it's beckoning her to pass through. This is a book that I had so many questions about, you know, both with my with myself and also like I'd love to talk to somebody about it who read it because I think my idea of what these little doors represent might be different from what other people think they are according to the Goodreads reviews that I've read, <laughs> but I really enjoyed it. Now her books are not easy reads. There are tons of heavy issues buried among these magical elements. But in some ways, that magic makes me want to keep reading and not turn away from what sometimes feels like a emotionally brutal story. And if you want a book that gives you a strong sense of place where I can't follow, 100% hits the mark. I lived in Appalachia for several periods of my life, and I recognize the people and the places that she writes about. These feel like people I've known and places I've been. So this is another thoughtful and imaginative book by Ashley Blooms, and I recommend it. Very good. Well, these sound great. Let's take another quick break. And when we come back, Ivana, you're going to answer your three in the third degree, but don't be nervous. (laughs) We are back with Ivana. So you ready, Ivana? I'm ready. (laughs) All right. Question number one. So Croatia is considered a big tourist destination right now, in large part because of the popularity of the TV hit series Game of Thrones. The parts of the show that took place in King's Landing was filmed in Dubrovnik, and it was beautiful. So what is something that if somebody was coming to Croatia to visit, you would tell them they need to be sure to see? Well, 
I believe it is the thing with every country, you know, with the residents and tourists, because tourists always want to see the things that are most popular, you know, most famous. So it's Dubrovnik or Plitica Lakes, you know, but uh, if we talk about our coast, it's so different because Croatia has like, you can say actually on five parts, like five completely different parts of the country, even though the country itself is small, you know, from where I live up north, I need like an hour and a half drive or two hours tops to the closest city in the sea. So, you know, mm. it's not far. Of course, if I go to Dubrovnik, I need eight hours, but, you know, <laughs> if we're talking the closest one, need like two hours to get to the mountains because we have like geographically such a diversity we have mountainous part where you have snow in the winter you can go you know skiing and ice skating and in the summer it's also beautiful you can go to and walk through their Plitvice lakes you know they're the most famous national park uh, they have beautiful waterfalls and you can walk all around it it takes you a whole day almost to walk through it but it's such a beautiful untouched nature and it's in the mountains and it's really you know the colors the, the green and the blue it's 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 like a paradise trust me and there's no big cities nearby so it's really you know clean air and clean water uh, but also you have the sea just an hour from there so we have a lot of islands so each island is actually a different place to go i've mm-hmm been here all my life i've been through like 10 or 15 islands and i cannot say that each is the same for me the the most beautiful are the ones that are not popular you know that people don't go because you know there's not so many tourists the the architecture is the similar we, every island has a little old city with narrow streets stone buildings and it's really the charm of the place but you, when you come to the island you sometimes feel just like the time stuff the least popular you go, the more of the traditional you will see. Carrie, we have a trip. Call them our name. <laughs> hey, you know what? I was thinking for my 50th birthday, not this year, but next year, I want to do something big. So maybe this is the big thing. Maybe we can go to Croatia. I'm maybe waiting so. on you. <laughs> that would be awesome. Oh, well, you made it sound so good. We're going to move on to the next question, which is you told us that you were a ballet teacher. So are you teaching younger kids or full grown dancers? No, and what is the favorite ballet that you have performed? I'm teaching kids from five to 14 in Croatia. We have a state ballet schools. So it's not like a studio you go to which everyone can enroll, but you have to pass the auditions and you have like ballet every day. You have grades, you have everything, the, the finals and uh, the subjects. You have like character dance, music lessons, right. piano lessons, historical dance, classical ballet, modern ballet. So when you finish, you're an educated dancer. So that's what I finished. I finished elementary ballet school, high ballet school, and I was a certified, uh, educated classical ballet dancer so I went to work in the national theater that's so cool (laughs) so here they have arts high schools so like we have one here in our city I mean it does have dance but it also has music you know different instrumental types of music or painting or things like that we have a special kind so we have music high schools uh, we have art for, you know, paintings, sculptures and stuff like that. And we have dance high schools, our classical ballet high school or uh, contemporary. So this huh. is specific just for ballet then. So it's not yeah. like an integrated where it has all the arts. It's just ballet. It's just ballet. Just ballet. So, yeah, you can pick. So in elementary school, I was going to two schools. I was going to my general education, my normal elementary school, plus my ballet elementary school so if i go to the high school so you have to pass the audition for the high school and then you have like five years so you have half of the general education and half of the dance education it's it's very complicated but uh for me what i went i went to a general education like a proper normal high school plus ballet school so I have actually degrees from two different schools 
once you graduated, you were yeah. able to dance professionally? Yeah, because since always our school is uh, connected with the National Theater. So since I was a kid, I you know, they used to borrow the kids for the Nutcracker and all the shows. So mm-hmm. I, I think the first time I danced in the, you know, ballet was when I was seven years old. So when I was in my final years of high school, the ballet ensemble uh, borrowed us for some of the roles for dancing. So we did the Swan Lake and La Bayadere. So when I graduated, you know, all the people from the theater were there and they said like, yeah, you can come here work for us. You're good enough. <laughs> you know, we know you, you're our, you know, we, you've been dancing here for like the last two years all the time. So yeah, I got there. I was there for like, I don't know, five years, I think, professional dancing. So that, that was my job. So do you have a favorite ballet that, that you participated in or performed well, in? Well, I think I, I, I'm the emotionally most attached to the La Bayodere because it was like the first big one I danced as a proper part of the ensemble. What I like the most, because we do a lot of classical ballet things, you know, all the big ballets. And first time we ever did Balanchine, which is an American, you know, choreographer. And he has his own style and we've never danced that. So I got an opportunity to dance that. And it was like really a special experience. Hmm. So, yeah, that's a serenade. I think it was the ballet. So it was good. But after that, I just transferred to teaching. I work now in a state school for ballet. That's so cool. All right. Your last question. So... Amy and I both each have two boys. We we also have, each of us has a daughter. You have two boys. And so yeah. I don't know if this has been the experience with you, but one boy is usually okay. But when you put two <laughs> boys together and they're brothers, there's usually a lot of stink and a lot of nonsense that yeah. often involves wrestling. So yeah. <laughs> from your experience, what is the best thing and the worst thing about always being with little boys? <laughs> wrestling definitely is the worst i mean they're <laughs> all over each other all the time you know? i'm just like i turn around and they're like, what are you doing you were sitting still for a minute ago what happened and they were recreating some cartoon fight and i realized that you have you have to go out with them as much as you can just let them run let them they let the steam out so once you do that you know run for an hour and then we're back home then they're good then it's okay. And then you repeat it in the afternoon. Mine usually want to start, and they're older, they're 14 and 12, but it seems like they'll be, you know, they get home from school, I guess they're tired from school, and then they want to have a wrestling match right when it's time to go to bed. And I'm like, what is wrong with you all? Go brush your teeth. It's time to go to bed. Oh my God. So I have like, you know, six years of that. Oh my God. Sorry. I thought, I, thought, I thought it was, you know, calm down by the time they were. It does. It does. It's not nonstop. You know, you will get five, six, seven hour stretches in between the wrestling. <laughs> so it, it does get better. So what would you say is the best thing about being with two little boys? Their energy probably, you know, fascinates me, you know. So they wake up and they're like charged you know i wake up and i I need half an hour you know drink my coffee sit in peace you know gather my thoughts and what will i do for the day and and they they wake up and said hey mom let's go out and i'm like what (laughs) (laughs) and or i'm hungry let's go eat a what (laughs) so you know it's it's contagious i have a feeling that they are like so unbothered with everything around them they're just live for the moment Mm -hmm. Hmm. There's something and, nice about that and precious yeah. about yeah, that. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, definitely. I wish I could be like that, you know, but, you know, you're a parent, you have like a million words in your head. So you always think five steps ahead. Well, Ivana, thank you so much for being a guest on our show. It has been so interesting chatting with you and learning about Croatia and, and your experience as a dancer and your book reading life. So thanks so much for sharing it with us. Yeah, thank you for an interest in this. It's, it's a great platform to, you know, really get to know people from all around the world. You can find Ivana talking about books on her Instagram at books period with period tutus underscore and underscore sons and at her blog site books period with period tutus and sons dot com. 
Thanks for joining us this week. Follow us on Facebook at the Perks of Being a Book Lover or on Instagram at Perks of Being a Book Lover Pod to see what we're up to. For show notes for any episode, go to our website at www.perksofbeingabooklover.com. We'd love to hear from our listeners. Do you have a favorite book you'd like to share with us or feedback for what types of guests you'd like to hear from? If so, send us a message through our website. And if you like what we're doing with the show, tell a friend. Word of mouth is one of the best ways to help people find us. Finally, a huge thank you to Forward Radio 106.5 FM, a grassroots community radio station in Louisville, Kentucky. You can find our show there, live or in archives, at forwardradio.org.